Welcome to Mintel Little Conversation, real conversations with actionable insights into what consumers want and why. I'm Alicia Young, Associate Director of Consumer Trends Research for Asia Pacific, and today we're going to re-air an episode that first ran about a year ago. It's about the importance of brands defining value for consumers. In the episode, you'll hear one of our hosts, Sam Dover, talk about rising inflation and consumer anxiety around spending, both of which hold very true today. Sam is joined by our colleague, Rebecca Vella, who oversees Mintel's food and drink insights team in Asia Pacific, and Andy Payne, who is the head of marketing at Kraft Heinz. One of the really interesting parts of their conversation is when they debate the potential future opportunities for brands to create value. This is absolutely something that we talk about endlessly with our clients. And I think that listening to it in podcast format, you'll absolutely get a lot of value out of it as well. Enjoy and we'll see you back here with a new episode at the end of the month. So as prices are rising for both businesses and consumers alike, defining value is becoming more important. Mintel research shows that consumers are particularly anxious about their finances at the minute, and they're really worried about the impact that inflation will have on their ability to cope in the coming months. So with that in mind, I'm joined by my Mintel colleague, Beck Feller, and Andy Payne from Kraft Heinz to discuss all things value-related and explore the challenges that brands will face and the opportunities that will come to the fore in a value-centric market going forward. So to get us started, can I ask you both to just very briefly introduce yourselves? So let's start with you, Beck. Awesome. Thank you. Um, my name's Beck. I look after the Mintel Food and Drink team for APEC, and I'm based in Australia. Uh, and I'm Andy. I am head of marketing for beverages at Kraft Heinz Australia. Amazing. Thank you. So before we really dig into this conversation, I think first and foremost, it's really good to just define the concept of values. There's undoubtedly this perception or instantly when we think of value, our brain goes to the idea that prices or low prices specifically are the ultimate indicator of value. But that's certainly not the case. And it is much more multifaceted than that. Would you both agree? Definitely would agree. I think there's a common misconception that when we talk about value, we think about price straight away. And when we say consumers are looking for value, it automatically translates to consumers want lower costs. And they're not, you know, they're not always the same thing and and nor should they be. I think that it's all well and good for for us to demand lower prices. You know, us as consumers will want lower prices as well. But I think from when you're on a brand standpoint, it's not sustainable. We're all facing cost inflation in in the same way. Um, And I think by relying on looking at low costs and, and keeping your prices low, you're not necessarily supporting the integrity of your brand. And what we need to do is try and prevent consumers for relying on your brands based on cost because they'll never really understand the true value and really place those efforts on making your products worth their cost and get consumers to understand that value equation. Yeah, that's exactly right. The way that we kind of look at it is price is objective and value is really kind of this subjective measure. So every consumer has a different value equation um, in terms of how they look at a product and more than ever consumers are kind of understanding the value of their dollar and understanding um, that there is more to it than just the price. Um, So there's things, you know, uh, how physically available a product is, the quality, whether it's a better product, where it was made, how ethical the company is, how sustainable the company is, um, 
another, all other experiences, you know, what other experiences does the product give me? All of these contribute to that kind of consumer's perception of value. Um, and it means really for brands, there are a lot of levers to pull in many different ways for us as marketers to get consumers to see more values, uh, more value in our product without adjusting the price. Yeah, definitely. And so with that in mind, do we think that the idea of value has changed much in recent years? I feel like as you've kind of briefly touched on it, there are things like ethics that are definitely becoming more important. And I'm thinking in my head, things like the pandemic have surely had an impact on how consumers perceive value or what they perceive to be value for money. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's um, two really key trends that we saw um, that were probably accelerated through this pandemic. Uh, The first being this kind of value of local. Uh, So, for a lot of people uh, with the pandemic, obviously, the world got bigger. You know, we could see the impact of things on a global scale, um, but also uh, through the lockdowns, the world got a lot smaller as well. And there was a lot of support and generosity uh, towards helping others and supporting local businesses. Um, People could see the impact of of their dollar on those local businesses and made sure, you know, they got their Friday night takeout from a local business to keep them going and support those people in the community. And that has really now extended into these kind of other purchase decisions um, where consumers are actually wanting uh, to look at locally made and support locally made um, businesses and products. Um, And, you know, in Australia, where we are at the moment, um, consumers are actually ranking locally made ahead of price in terms of importance when purchasing. Um, And this is something that's that's really come about recently. Um, And then secondly, the value in comfort. Uh, So, in these kind of times of uncertainty, um, you know, with everything that's going on, uh, not just the pandemic, uh, climate change, the the war uh, in Ukraine, um, these kind of things, these times of uncertainty, people are looking for comfort and stability. Um, They they really went back to brands that offered them that uh, consistency and there was comfort in knowing that the product that you've had in the pantry for years uh, is still the same regardless of the kind of chaos happening around you. Um, And we've really seen from that the revival of classic brands um, and this kind of move and trend towards nostalgia um, in brands and and also in kind of designs as well. So, they're kind of the two key um, new areas of value that have really accelerated um, in recent times. Yeah, definitely. We've got some interesting beauty research, which we've done for our forthcoming um, Mintel's a uh, big conversation event that we host. We're hosting in the uh, UK and in Europe um, later this month, actually. And it shows that consumers really value kind of that idea of familiarity and they are looking for, you know, there's a real level of comfort and enjoyment that comes out of turning to some of those, you know, familiar brands and the kind of reassurance that, that provides them is really interesting. So I think just to move the conversation on a little bit, I think... When profit margins are squeezed for businesses, there's obviously a really natural temptation for companies to reduce their marketing spend, but that's not always the best move. I know, Beck, you can definitely speak to this and I'm sure you can too, Andy. But I just want to know, you know, how important is it for brands to maintain 
marketing investment during these kind of times. You know, so when we're in this kind of trading environment with rising costs for businesses being coupled with these kind of extremely heightened price sensitivities amongst consumers, how, you know, how can brands respond and how important is marketing? And, you know, how should, when we think about marketing, how can brands really speak to consumers about value? I think it's a very passionate topic. Um, so forgive us if we elaborate a bit more. But I think anyone who's been um, on the brand side will, certainly would have experienced this in, you know, in, in times where there's financial uncertainty either within the business or culturally. Um, one normally one of the first things to to go is your AMP spend because the business wants to be able to re- try and recoup costs, and that's a big expenditure. And I think the the message we'd love to get across is that in times like this, it's it's more crucial than ever to make sure that you continue to invest in your brands, particularly for the long term, because I think particularly when, um, you know, economic uncertainty comes up by surprise, it's very tempting to be reactive because you're not really sure what's going on. And like I said, the first thing you do is kind of pull in, stop, refrain. But I think like having worked uh, on brands for a number of years and working with, you know, people like Kantar and doing equity studies and They've always been really good at showing the data that over over the years, particularly when there's been an economic recession or uncertainty, that brands that have continued to invest in the, in that time a don't have as large of a financial um, impact, and b bounce back a lot quicker than those who decided not to support during that time. And um, in you know, utilizing other studies such as marketing mixed modeling or MMM, uh, whatever you like to call it, uh, is that I've kind of come across a good analogy over the years that when you consistently spend, it's a lot easier to maintain that equity. And it's sort of a bit like a steam train or a steam engine where if you keep going, it keeps going. When you stop, it takes a hell of a lot more energy, effort, therefore investment to get things going again. And in times like this, particularly when you're trying to demonstrate value, um, that's where equity really, really plays a role. And so again, it it certainly isn't a time to shy away from your investments. It's a time to really make your brand shine and ensure that we're supporting it the best way possible to get across the messages we need to for consumers to see the value in it. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think, um, you know, carrying on from that, Beck, in terms of what you are communicating is, is really important. I think mm. uh, the first thing... Uh, in that situation is making sure you understand your consumer. Um, So the best thing that you can do as a brand is know your consumer and know what they see as valuable in your brand. Um, And so, you know, for each brand that's different, but it can be leaning into those messages around uh, community or sustainability initiatives. Um, You know, it can be promoting... um, the quality and giving people more for their money. Um, and, you know, it really is about how the, how you message value and the value that you deliver for the consumer. And then the other thing to kind of remember is that just because times are, are tough uh, for, for people or there is, you know, a, a recession or those kind of pressures, it doesn't mean that your category will um do badly. Some categories actually do better in a recession. Um, for example, food, food and drink, um, mm-hmm. because there can be this side of you know people wanting to to splurge on smaller items or have these everyday luxuries. Um, I'm not going out for dinner, so instead I'll treat myself to the better ice cream, or uh, you know which in comparison to the, the cost of a night out is actually significantly less expensive. So, again, it just kind of goes back to understand your consumer, understand that, that value equation and how you can deliver value for them and really communicate that in a way that's relevant for them. 
Do you think it's also fair to say that when we are talking about nostalgia and 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 trust and, and heritage it's a good time when you are looking at your communications to go back to your brand foundations go back to your roots go back to what made your brand famous in the first place to be able to leverage those equity points and and, and tie them to a way that's relevant in in today's times you know um but i think it's it's always a good time to clean up your backyard make sure that you're that you're communicating your your strengths in the most clear simple concise way yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. Like your brand is your competitive advantage in this. Uh, there is a value in your brand that has, uh, you know, if your brand is 50 years old, there is a value that you have been delivering to consumers uh, for that time. So it's kind of understanding that, understanding what's at the heart of that and why people have already been paying more mm. than a, a private label or more than a, a competitive product for for you um, and making sure exactly as you said, they're, they're the messages that you're communicating. That's the emotion that um, is connecting you to your consumers and that you're delivering for them. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well that you made a good point in times like this, if you are competing, you know, private labels are a, a fierce competitor and what differentiates you from a private label is your equity, is your is the power of your brand. So you've got to leverage it as much as possible because that's your one leg that you can stand on compared to, you know, a similar option with a more affordable price. Yeah, exactly. I mean, private label is is private label for a reason, right? There's, they're going after a specific price point and offering value in their kind of way but um to your point there's there's things in heritage there's things all those things that we discussed earlier how ethical is your brand how sustainable is your brand um how much do you support local communities where are you manufactured all of these messages that that deliver value to a consumer and that they you know add perceived value it's not just um the product that you get um it's all of those other pieces that come with it that that contribute to value for a consumer. And they're the things you've got to remember because if you're just trying to compete on price, uh, you're going to strip away what the brand is about and what people love about the brand. Mm. So I feel like we can't really talk about communicating and talking to consumers about value in this kind of, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of trading environment where brands are really being forced to increase their prices. And so I feel like there's definitely something interesting around the idea of transparency. It's much easier mm. said than done for brands to do. But one really interesting example that we've seen in beauty recently was The Ordinary um, recently or earlier this year warned its customers of forthcoming price rises via Instagram. And we actually ran some really interesting qualitative research at Mintel where we asked consumers to look at that social media post and to share their thoughts. And the responses were overwhelmingly positive, which I was quite mm. surprised at. There was no kind of negative, you know, associations with that brand rising prices because they really clearly outlined their reasons for doing so. Um, so do you agree? Do you think that's kind of the best strategy for brands to take in this kind of environment at the minute? Definitely, definitely. And I think um, it, it is a time like looking at past recessions, the last thing brands want to do is raise their price because they, they know that the impact of that. And it's not necessarily always an easy thing to do, you know, working with retailers. Um, and so they'll look at alternatives and that's that can be, you know, looking at optimized pack price architecture. That can also be, I don't, lack of a better term, like product shrinkage and, and the, you know, things like that. And I think that 
regardless of the initiatives, whether it is a price rise, whether it is um, changing the, you know, the size of your product and, and, you know, charging the same. I think the biggest thing we need to prioritize is making sure that consumers feel comfortable with their purchases. And particularly, this is even more important in a time where we've got financial uncertainty. And, you know, we're talking about brands with heritage and, and trust. And this is the best time to be able to leverage that because you've got a relationship with your consumers already. And and um, I think to your point, Sam, you, you know, you had the beauty example that when someone in my team shared a lovely one with me, um, an Indian cake brand, I hope I pronounced it all right, um, Bapuji. And they recently put a Instagram post out um, explaining the same thing, explaining their price rise, but it was in a really sincere way and in a heartfelt way, in a way they were almost apologetic about it and it was the last thing they wanted to do. And it, it was really overwhelming to see this this outpour of generous comments from consumers like pledging their support and reassuring them that it's still a part of their life. And it, it's lovely to see that because when you have got the right relationship and, and narrative with your consumers, as long as you kind of keep communicating to them on a human level, they, they are understanding, like they get it and, and they're, you know, they're getting more educated on the situation as well. And so I think similar, like if you were looking at options of um, like any revenue management tactics or product shrinkage, like to be honest about it. And, you know, there's ways you can do that, right? To say you don't want to lose the integrity of the product. You want to be able to give consumers the product they know and love for the price that they're typically paying. But you know, this is a step that the company's decided to make to keep things affordable. And we've always found regardless of whether that happens within you know, recession or inflationary time or not, because it happens all the time anyway, um, brands that sort of fail to communicate that change risk consumers perceiving them of being, you know, sneaky or opportunistic. And it really adds to that narrative that big brands are all profit hungry. And at the end of the day, consumers trust brands more that are honest and transparent. Yeah, I think uh, just to kind of uh, echo what you're saying there, I think consumers can be quite cynical um, toward towards brands these days um, and the way that they they see um, price rises or see decisions as trying to hide something from them. Mm-hmm. So, transparency really is valued across um, all aspects now in this kind of honesty and, and being upfront around whether it's uh, transparency in terms of your supply chain or your uh, practices or, you know, where you're sourcing ingredients. Consumers more and more are kind of demanding that level of transparency and that flows through to, to price as well. Um, so, the more that you can be open and say, this is why we're, we're having to do this, it's because of this. People are aware of the kind of situation um, and if they're willing to pay more, if they value a, a better quality product and that product costs more for whatever reason, they will be willing to pay for it and feel more that they are being given um, an opportunity rather than trying to be tricked into paying more or, or, or fooled into something, which is just not really how consumers want to engage with brands these days. That's so true. And do you think it's fair to say like over the, the course of the pandemic, I mean, obviously it's been a shocking time, but some good has come out of it where consumers have become a lot more educated about how things work, particularly, you know, in food and drink and supply chain. And I think before, like, yes, sustainability and, and made local, all of that was important, but other factors usually would sometimes get in the way of that when it came to making that purchase decision. But I think given that they've had to experience shelves being empty and then realizing that's because products come from here or there, or, you know, it requires X, Y, Z steps to get this on the shelf. Um, I feel that consumers have probably never been more educated than they are now. And I think you're so true in what you said, like they want to make the educated decision on what suits them rather than 
being forced with a you know choice or feel like they're getting tricked into something. Yeah, and that educated decision needs to be easy. Like you know, <laughs> as a consumer yourself, that you shouldn't have to go through, uh, you know, all of these jump through hoops to understand is your purchase the right one. And um, as that value equation has gotten more complicated, as we know, uh, you know, it used to just be kind of price product and how easy it was to get. Now there's all of these other kind of things that are coming into it. As it kind of gets more complicated, the simpler the choice that you can make for someone at the shelf by giving them that information, being transparent on pack, giving them that kind of easy choice, um, the the better it is for the brand because the easier that purchase decision is to know that you're making the right one. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've done a couple of podcasts in the past. So for anybody interested in that idea of that purchase journey and trying to make that as simple and straightforward um, for um, for consumers as possible, I definitely recommend going back and listening to some of our archives because we have ones on the purchase journey and, uh, you know, the decision-making process and how complex that can be for consumers. Um, so we've talked a little bit there about some of the kind of consumer facing strategies that are going to be valued and going to work best. Um, But I want to now take it back and, you know, we've got Andy here. I want to leverage that. I want to think about, you know, what other things brands can do to ensure that they are providing value for money. So more from an internal perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, uh, you know, obviously we've already talked about using that brand and and dialing up those kind of, um, unique uh, things about the brand and, and, you know, looking at that. But there is this other way uh, to kind of offer value in a creative way, um, You whether that be, you know, working with retailers and, and looking at how you can make the most of their kind of value mechanics that they have, whether that be loyalty programs or, you know, other promotional programs that they have in place. Um but, but there's other solutions that you can offer value um, looking at potentially, you know, there's examples of uh, recipes and how, you know, the versatility of a, of a product. So, um, where it might replace a more expensive item, for example, you know, there's um, things where uh, beans uh, might replace meat in a recipe, something that, um, you know, on, on shelf, the beans might be priced uh, more expensively than uh, another competitor, but as a replacement for meat, it is actually a value offer. So, thinking creatively around those kind of things um, and, again, versatility in terms of being able to make a product go further, be used in, in other uh, different ways that might not be just the standard uh occasion that you would be using that, Uh, things like new pack formats uh, that you can, you know, work to drive more value, give people more for their money. Um, And finally, things like reviewing channels um, and strategy. We know in kind of uh, times of recession that people will change their behavior. They might go to... um, a, a discount retailer rather than where they would normally or a value retailer, where, whereas um, they might normally uh, rather than their local. Um, so, understanding that kind of 
consumer behavior, you can say, we're going to target having an aisle or having new products in this retailer, in this channel, uh, because we know that people will move to that. So, these are kind of ways that you can kind of creatively think about driving value and and uh, appealing to consumers' need for value um, outside of just changing your price. That's a good point, Andy. I think you, met, you tapped on it for, for a second, but looking at what your true competitive set is as well, because I think it's really easy, particularly when we're talking about price, when we're talking about value, is you zone in to the categories that you play in and what your next adjacent competitor is in that category, like you use beans for an example, and then there's going to be multiple brands there and it's like, how do you compete against them? But really, like I think the more, like um, particularly those that are really deep diving in research is that consumers don't always go, like think that way, right? They don't always just go to the shelf and they'll be like, I need beans and I'm going to, I can buy this brand or I can buy this brand. It's it's an occasion first. It's a need first. And so how does your product play a role against um, other categories as well? And I think that's where, um, say, Frozen and Ambient products have probably got a bit of a, you know, a new heyday because you can demonstrate to consumers that, like, say, to take Frozen, for example, that it's, you know, snap frozen. It can be just as good as fresh, but it's it's there and it's preserved and it, you can keep it there for as long as you need to and, and products that are in the pantry and how you can interchange these and get versatility. I, I think it also opens up that true competitive set, which is great. Like that's that's really exciting. And I think that forces us out of our silos a bit in terms of how, um, how you position and, and how you really want to optimize your chances of, you know, appealing to more consumers. Yeah, exactly. It's just like refa- reframing that, consumer repertoire that people don't just shop by category um, and as I kind of said trying to be creative around the way that you're you're thinking about that yeah definitely and I feel like listening to this it just makes me think as well that there's so many benefits to this kind of thing so as you mentioned you know having the idea of having say for example how you can use beans in a recipe to replace meat or you know other I'm sure lots of other ingredients as well can really also help to reduce waste and things like that so it's you know it's providing that value for money but it's also tackling some of the really big important issues for consumers as well mm. um so yeah i think that's really interesting so you've both given you know lots of insights and recommendations there about how to approach value from a brand um, and business perspective but as we look into the kind the coming years when times are inevitably going to be tough for consumers and as we've noted value is only going to gain importance what is the one piece of advice you would want to give you know other brands or you know other businesses out there help to kind of future proof themselves against the inevitable headwinds that are coming their way from my perspective i would say um you know my piece of advice is that brand is what will give you the competitive advantage in this time. So, people will continue to buy brands. Um, You need to make sure that you're telling them more than just how much you cost um, and really leverage that comfort and nostalgia that big brands can offer consumers in these times of uncertainty and understand what's most important to consumers in their value equation and make sure you're communicating that. I'd say also just to keep keep in mind the opportunity for premiumization, which can kind of go against the grain a little bit of we're talking about value and price. But um, in these times, and Andy touched on it uh, earlier on, but when, you know, competitively priced brands are going to obviously flourish in, in this age of inflation, but there's, there's also this opportunity for premiumization and, um, particularly like indulgent products that offer that moment of escape and emotional boost that like, it's still going to be an important treat. And that's still something that consumers will, will crave. And, um, 
you know, do you find it where people are cutting out larger expenditure, whether it's travel or eating out or any other social occasions, they're going to still need something and look for those everyday luxuries to get them through. Um, and I think that's where, you know, luxury indulgence can play a big role. And, and you were saying as well around um, products that do better in, in poor economic times. And it's particularly when you look at food and drink, it's always the same sort of ones that do. It's, it's indulgences, it's chocolate, it's confectionery, it's alcohol um, and snacks. And, and why? Because indulgent products meet consumers' psychological needs to, for a small treat in periods of anxiety. And um, I think you can always bring it back to that lipstick effect, uh, you know, that, that we've seen over the years. So um, I think that would be my one piece of advice is, um, of course, take take into consideration all we've discussed today, but also not to forget the opportunity to premiumize, um, you know, wh- where it suits within, you know, the, the categories that you play in, because there's definitely an opportunity for that. Amazing. So I'm going to try and very briefly summarize what we've covered in this conversation um, for our listeners to kind of get at the key points that we want listeners to take away from this. So these are what I have and I will open it out to you both to see if you agree or disagree. But my three points are value goes far beyond price and there are lots of other metrics that are often of equal importance. In particular, we're going to see transparency and ethics come to the fore this time around. I feel like that is something that consumers are taking into consideration much more than ever before. And then finally, understanding why consumers value your brand in particular is going to be integral um, to make sure that consumers do feel like they're getting that value for money that they're going to be craving. Do you both agree? Have I managed to summarize? Yeah, I think I think that's a, a great summary. I think, you know, at the end of the day, consumers should be your North Star. Consumers will tell you what they want. Um, and you just need to make sure that you are you are listening. 100 percent agree. <laughs> Amazing. So sadly on that note, I think that is all we've got time for today. So I just want to say thank you to Beck and Andy for joining me today. And for the listeners, if you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, then please head over to Mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook and check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. And thank you again for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And if you like what you've heard today, then please do spread the word and look out for our next episode of Mintel's Little Conversation. Mm-hmm.